Hi, I'm Hannah Bailey. And I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! Today with us we've got author Nick Stone, the author of Dear Martin and the upcoming Odd One Out, coming out on October 9th, 2018. Nick Stone was born and raised in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, and the only thing she loves more than an adventure is a good story about one. After graduating from Spelman College, she worked extensively in teen mentoring and lived in Israel for a few years before returning to the U.S. to write full-time. Growing up with a wide range of cultures, religions, and backgrounds, Stone strives to bring those diverse voices and stories to her work. You can find her goofing off and or fangirling over her adorable little family on most social media platforms. We had the great pleasure of meeting Nick Stone at YaFest in Montreal this year, and we are so excited to have you with us. So thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. So we wanted to start uh, with asking you to tell us a little bit about when and how you started writing. So what's fascinating is like, despite... Apparently, I don't actually remember this, but apparently when I was 12 or 13, I told a friend that I wanted to be a New York Times bestseller. And I don't remember saying that. In fact, I didn't, I actually didn't start writing until I was 28. So that was like five years ago. Um, And I think that partially it took me a while to get into the idea of writing just because I didn't really see anybody who looked like me writing anything about about anybody who looked like me. So, like, both the lack of representation um, in the author sense and in the character sense was, you know, kind of subconsciously discouraging, if that makes sense. Absolutely, Um, What kind of, yeah, and I mean, what kind of split the script for me was reading, I read Veronica Roth's Divergent when I was 26 or 27. And, well, let's say it was 2012, so that would have made me... I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> it would have made me older. <laughs> yeah. We'll just put it like that. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was like about, I had gotten married. I had like, I was about to have a kid. So I think I was pregnant. So maybe this is 2011. But like I read Divergent and Christina in Divergent was the first time literally ever in my life I had been able to identify with a character in a book. Like in the sense that I was like, wow, this girl is me and I want to be her. Which is telling, but seeing her and the fact that she like, the fact that she survived the entire series, um, it was kind of revolutionary for me and it made me, it it honestly like turned on the light bulb that like, oh wait, I can exist in a book in this way and, and it can be awesome. So that's when I decided that I wanted to try to write something. So like shout out to Veronica Roth because, you know, she's the one who kind of opened my eyes to the possibility of being some kind of heroine um, in the type of books that I like to read. Yeah. I think this maybe follows from from what you're saying about Divergent, but uh, why why young adult? Uh, why did you, what do you want to write for teenagers? Did you ever consider writing not for teenagers? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's like I didn't really, con- I don't think I was considering writing much at all. There was a point where I was doing um, more nonfiction type stuff. And I didn't think I could write fiction. So, like, the idea of writing fiction at all was just kind of a stretch. 
Um, and, and I started, so like I was reading like hoity toity lit fic was like my, my jam for a while. And I think I had just finished, I had just finished Jonathan Franzen's freedom when somebody handed me the hunger games. They were like, you got to read this book. And this was my boss at my job. I was living and working in Israel at the time. And my boss, he was this other American. Like there weren't a whole lot of us in the office, but like, he was like, you have to read this book. I know it's supposedly like, like I, you probably don't know much about it. I didn't know much about it, but you got to read it. It's so good. So I started reading the hunger games and it just like blew my world open. Like the idea of there being this genre of books. Cause I totally missed the twilight. I was like, Mm-hmm. Totally missed the Twilight thing. Wasn't into that at all. Um, there were a series of like books that kind of came back to back that I just wasn't privy to at all because I, like I said, I was reading my like snobby stuff. <laughs> um, but I started reading The Hunger Games, and it be, and like the fact that like the first book in that series, for like eighty percent of the book, Katniss is completely by herself. And at no point does it ever lose momentum or get boring. So the fact that, that this woman was able to write a book about this 16-year-old girl who was interacting with no one and it held my attention, it kind of ignited my desire to dig more into the genre. Um, also, it was at a point in life where I was like just beginning to understand my own adolescence. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of works out where the stuff that came out when I did sit down to write was, was just YA stuff, kind of coming of age, high school kids doing high school kids stuff, um, and that's that's where I landed. Um, I definitely plan to do to move into other genres. I'm starting in middle grade in 2020, so I'm excited about that. Oh, um, and then yeah, and I'm 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 hoping to do a couple picture do some couple picture books, and like I definitely want to write adult at some point. So, but yeah, YA is like, I will say that YA is like where my heart of heart is. Um, and I mean, I've been mentoring teenagers since I still was one. Like when I was 19, mm-hmm. I got into mentoring and like, it was hilarious because my girls, I had a group of like, I think there were eight girls in my mentorship group and the youngest of them was like 16. So, <laughs> so I, I had three years on them and it was just like, I'm really not even that much older than you guys, but yeah. here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love... I also love getting to interact with teenagers because I write for them. Um, there's something very powerful and magical about that particular stage of life. So I feel it is an, it's an honor and a privilege to not only write YA, but like write YA that teenagers actually want to read. It's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think we can uh, definitely relate to the like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you've touched on this already with, with Divergent, with Hunger Games, but are there any other significant books, authors, stories uh, that influenced you a writer, as a writer or that impacted you as a teen? Yeah, what's fascinating is that these are both like white men, which, which, is, <laughs> it's, which I find so, like I look back over like stuff that has impacted me through the years and a lot of it. So when I was a teenager... Reading totally lost its savor for me in high school, um, largely because of the stuff we were required to read. Mm-hmm. I met three characters uh, in literature, capital <laughs> L, um, who looked like me. One of them was kind of was a hunchback who had big dreams and would never be able to live them because he was black. That was Crooks from mm-hmm. Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. One of them was an escaped slave who I honestly couldn't understand half the time because he was written in dialect. That was Jim 
from Huckleberry Finn, and the third was falsely accused of rape and then murdered by a lynch mob, and that was Tom from To Kill a Mockingbird. And those are literally the only three black characters I encountered in high school in, in books that we had to read. Um, so needless to say, I wasn't like besides Harry Potter, I didn't want to read anything. Like, I was just like, whatever. I don't mm -hmm. even like reading. I just like Harry Potter. It's the anomaly. Mm -hmm. Then I read The Virgin Suicides by Jeff Eugenides. I think I was a senior. I'm pretty sure I was a senior. I might have been a junior. I was either a junior or a senior. Mm -hmm. And the way my bedroom was set up, I had this massive dresser that had this kind of, like, dome-shaped center with two ledges on the side. And along the ledges, my mother actually had set up books. Most of them I hadn't read. Mm. I didn't even look at them most of the time. But there was one day that one spine caught my attention, and that was The Virgin Suicides. Mm. And, like, I picked it up, and I did not put it down until I had finished it. And it was, like, the first book that I'd read where I was able to, like, understand what the characters were, were going through. Um, mm. It's a book about these five sisters who, over the course of a year, all commit suicide. Like, yeah. it's super okay. morbid. It would be hyper-triggering today. Like, you would have to, like have a trigger warning on every other page. Um, but it's one of those books where I was like, yo, these girls are going through stuff that I understand. Like they were having mm -hmm. issues with boys and dealing with like angst and like their parents were trash and like they were <laughs> hyper overprotected. And this, there were so many things that I just was able to sink my teeth into and hold on. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the book that really impacted me as a teen and got me reading again. And I think the next thing I read after that was like The Color Purple. And that kind of launched me into, like, the high-class literary crap that I've read for a while. Um, and then John Green, mm -hmm. um, in addition to Veronica Roth and Suzanne Collins, um, John Green's books were the first contemporary YA books I ever read. And there is something, there was something so gripping about kind of, like, the precociousness of his books. Like, his books are very, they're very precocious. I don't mm -hmm. think anybody can deny that. They have this very, there's this kind of metacognition thing that happens when you're reading his books because they are, they're very insular and like you're, and I mean, I don't mean insular in a bad way, but they're very like character driven and you're looking at your, I feel like I was living in their, in these characters' heads. And that was really powerful for me to read books where it was less about what was going on outside of the character and more about like the character's actual change over time. Um, so while... Hunger Games and Divergent are what got me into YA. I would say John Green's books are what, like, kept me there and, like, hmm. made me want to, like, really dig into contemporary. So we're going we're gonna to segue to talking a little bit more specifically about uh, your books, which are great uh, for anyone who hasn't read them. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, I, just, I just spent the last week, like, reading both of them and just being like, oh! <laughs> what every writer wants to hear. Like, uh, so one of the things that I really noticed and found really interesting is um, is the the structures that you play with in your novels. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how the structure kind of drives the storytelling? Like how Odd One Out has kind of these three distinct subsequent sections with with very distinct voices and then dear martin is like narrative interspersed with letters and media clippings and and different things what uh yeah can you talk a little bit about that you know the easy answer to this uh to what drives my my pull towards like strange formatting or like different formatting is um social media culture um mm. i know that i am trying to compete with instagram snapchat facebook twitter 
Um, I'm trying to compete with Netflix. Like, there are so many things. Uh, and I also kind of have a short attention span. Like, you got to keep <laughs> me, you got to keep me engaged. So sometimes there are books that are just straight up words on a page, and I just eat it. But a lot of the time, like, if you don't hook me by page two, I will put the book down. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stimulation that we're like a lot of stimuli, I should say that we're dealing with on a daily basis and having to contend with. And this is especially true for teenagers who are even more inundated with technology than I am as like a 33 year old woman with like a husband and two children. You know, like there are, there are things that I'm interacting, the things that I'm doing, just interacting with my family um, that make my life a little different from a kid who does most of his schoolwork in an eight hour day on some kind of screen. So like knowing that I had to, keep that attention and keep a reader engaged is really what's behind my decision to tell stories in interesting ways. Um, I say all the time when I go into spaces and writing workshops, like there's no such thing as a new story. There's just a new way of telling it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's another thing that really informs my decision-making when it comes to, uh, when it comes to how I write stories. So like with Dear Martin, I just, Honestly, it was in, it was kind of instinctive. Like I didn't deliberately, I didn't deliberately write it that way. Like it wasn't like I, like I didn't sit down and think, okay, I'm going to try to tell this story as interestingly as possible. It was just like, I don't like dialogue tags, so let me just write straight up dialogue. And I want to con- I want to include some news clippings. That's something that I can do. Let's make sure that these letters sound different than the prose section. So just like mm-hmm. little things like that that kind of built up and made what Dear Martin is. And like with Odd One Out, what's interesting is that format was my editor's idea. And she just, she like doesn't remember. But <laughs> there was a point where, so what's interesting, so Dear Martin, right? Dear Martin started out at 79,000 words and eight points of view. Um, the okay. final version is, yeah, and, what, and Justice died on page three in the oh, original wow. version. So clearly that's not what happens now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's 39,000 words now, and it's just his one point of view. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with my editor, and she was like, this just isn't the book for all of these multiple points of view because you're, you're distracting from, from your main points here. Mm-hmm. And then she said, if you are in the future wanting to do a book from multiple perspectives, like more than two, make sure you write it in chunks. Mm. And it was mm. like this light bulb went off. And she doesn't even remember saying that to me, which is what's hysterical to me. I'm like, Phoebe, this was your idea. Like, <laughs> you're the reason that this is a trilogy of novellas. And she's like, I don't even remember saying that. But, yeah, there was something. It, uh, it made it easier is, is another thing about Odd One Out. Like, instead mm-hmm. of trying to change voices every chapter, writing them in these blocks was just, like, so much easier. But, yeah, I'm excited. Like, I'm excited about, like, the little the little things in there like the crossword puzzle that's in there I got really excited about especially since it took me like an hour to build (laughs) um yeah Yeah. and my third book also has so my third book has these oh I'm not supposed to talk about this you guys are just don't tell anybody (laughs) listeners don't tell anybody which actually means tell everybody um but my third book has these point of view chapters written from inanimate objects Oh, oh my so, like, god! That's my little gimmick for 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 book three because like every book has to have a gimmick now. Like I, t- mm. I turned in I turned in my third book with like no just straight up prose like words on the page your typical average book and my editor was like, but where's the hook? Like 
like, where's this painting format? <laughs> like, great. Yeah. So I guess that's my brand now. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's very effective. So yeah. Thank you. We were we were both actually we were talking about this just before, but we were both really struck mm-hmm. by the formatting and odd one out and thought it was mm-hmm. really effective. So yeah, <laughs> um, thank yeah. you. You've said that you wrote Dear Martin for your sons, and in your author's note, you say you wrote Odd One Out for yourself. When did you realize you wanted to write this novel for yourself, and how did it feel different? So Odd One Out is a book that I was kicking around in my head right after I okay. I got to go back a little bit. Um, Dear Martin sold on proposal. We had submitted a different book um, to the editor. The first editor, the first editor to respond, basically said she liked my writing, she liked the voice of the character, but she didn't think it was the right book for me to debut with. So she asked if I was working on anything else. They gave me twelve hours to come up with a proposal. So I like scraped together the proposal for Dear Martin, which which had been kind of floating in my head, but I hadn't mm-hmm. done anything with it. Um, and then I turned in that proposal and when she called, so like I turned in the proposal and then like two weeks go by and like over the course of that two weeks, I had this other idea just kind of pop into my head and start spinning. And it was, it was an idea about this, um, this gay girl with two dads whose best friend, whose male best friend is like secretly in love with her. Like that was kind of the genesis of Odd One Out. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to explore my own questioning phase. I wanted to explore like my own experiences in high school. Um, and it was really like looking back when, when I got the germ of the idea, I didn't realize all of that. Um, but I just knew that there was a gay girl and she had two dads and her male best friend was in love with her. Uh, And so when my, my editor called, when I finally got the chance to talk to her, I just pitched it as a sentence. And when I pitched it as a sentence, she was like, I love it. I'm going to buy two books. And I was like, okay. So (laughs) then we got the draft done. Right, exactly. We got the draft done. I got the original draft done for for Dear Martin, got it turned in, and then I I immediately started working on this other book. And as I was outlining it is when I realized, oh, this is the book that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And once once I was willing to just embrace that, it just, it like blossomed and got better and it started to make more sense. I added the third character, um, the girl who was going to throw a wrench into everything. And it came very full. What's interesting, man, I say that phrase a lot. (laughs) But anyway, what's interesting is that when it didn't really become what it is completely, like with regard to the way it handles self-identification and kind of questioning on the whole um, it didn't become that until I got this one very specific sensitivity read um, from a friend of mine. Her name is Maggie Thrash. She's also an author. She writes really, really, really fun books. Um, she's done two graphic novels. Well, her second graphic novel actually comes out the same day that Odd One Out does. That one is called Lost Soul, Be at Peace. The other one is, oh boy, why am I forgetting the name of the first graphic novel? Author is Maggie Thrash. Everybody go find her book. Um <laughs> But she, she did a very close sensitivity read for me because I'm not a lesbian. Like, I mm-hmm. am queer. I waffle between, like, just bisexual. Sometimes I say bisexual, depending on who I'm talking to. Sometimes I just say straight. Sometimes I just say not straight. Like, it, just, <laughs> it depends on who I'm talking to. Um, but originally, the book was 
a little different than it is now with regard to Jupiter's journey. And mm-hmm. Thrash is actually the person that was like, why don't you make this book what you need it to be? Mm-hmm. And that final thing, and this was right before I was due to turn it in for copy edits. So I had to like go back through it, make sure that I'd like worked all of the rhetoric so that it was the book that I needed it to be. Um, and that was really, really close to when I was like not going to be able to touch it anymore. So like I'm forever indebted to her and so thankful to her for um, for telling me to just like chill out and do what I needed to do. Oh hi. Um, can you wait on it? Oh Hi, yeah, um, I'm just gonna wash my hands here, uh, I know what you're wondering, what are you doing in my bathroom? Well, this is very easy to explain, hold on, hold on, let me, let me just blow dry my hair here. Uh, I'm here to tell you about Lasers on the Ride podcast, it's available wherever you get your podcast, it's a mix of comedy, uh, interviews, and the existential drama that only real life can bring. Now I'm gonna go take a shower. Goodbye. On September 19th, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, the much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to drop out of college and launch his own podcast network. That baby is me, Tom Zalatni, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again, right here on the Upford Network. So going back to Odd One Out, there are beginning to be a lot more uh, YA novels about the LGBTQ plus experience, but there aren't a lot that feature people of color. So Odd One Out explores the experience of being bisexual and the experience of being biracial. Did you find yourself drawing parallels between those experiences was there a specific reason that you wanted to combine those in the book well you know what i'm very pro like showing people as they exist Mm -hmm. um and most of us exist on different axes you know like i i am black female bisexual and those are like my main three areas of marginalization Mm -hmm. and they interact in different ways like being black Mm -hmm. and female is one thing being female and bisexual is one thing being black and bisexual is one thing. Like, there are all these different ways that pieces of our identities interact with each other, right? Mm-hmm. So Ray in the book is loosely based on, like, her person, like, who she who she is as a person and how she looks is loosely based on that same friend that I mentioned who told me I told her I wanted to be a New York Times bestseller. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's so great. She's, but, so she's not, she's not bisexual, but she is just the person who popped in my head when I was thinking of Ray and like kind of how Ray moves. Um, so honestly, the people tend to come to me before anything else does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with, with Jupiter, Jupiter is biracial, but she identifies as black. That's important to me. Um, so she's like Afro Latina, but she's also like, you know, she appears black. So there's just all of these different, pieces of the puzzle Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, that have to come together in order to make, like, the most accurate picture of, like, life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, I think that 
it was at once I was able to zoom out after I'd written it. So I've been listening to the audiobook, and like, mm. there's something very interesting about hearing and hearing somebody else narrating words that you wrote. Yeah, I imagine. Um, and it helps me. It helps me to step back from the story in a way that I can't when I try to read it myself. And I'm really excited. I've been really excited um, by hearing the way that everything has come together with regard to their identities and like both race, sexual. Um, even socioeconomic is a piece, you know, like yeah. they're mm-hmm. all, they're all middle-class, but like writing a book about middle-class kids of color who are questioning their sexuality, like that doesn't happen. Like you just no. don't see a whole lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but it was my upbringing. It was my mm-hmm. upbringing. I, I lived in this very diverse, um, I'm actually driving away from it right now, but mm-hmm. it's this town in Georgia called Norcross and it's like right outside so atlanta is encircled by this one highway and we call it the perimeter but it's interstate 285 and it's this massive circular highway that goes around the city um and i grew up right outside of that so it was in close enough proximity to the city to get kind of like the feel and the culture of the city but far enough away that you had everybody kind of mixed in together Mm -hmm. Uh, so it had this very suburb feel and I grew up with so many different people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different religions, like different countries even. I found out recently that at least three of my really close friends growing up were undocumented when we were in high school. I had no idea. Like, so, so knowing that this is like the life that I lived when I was in high school, I want, that's what I wanted to portray on the page mm-hmm. um, as, as, as authentically as I possibly could. Yeah, I think it was so exciting to read a book that's so intersectional mm-hmm. and and portrays so many experiences. Yeah, um, and just the real lives that so many kids are living. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Odd One Out also engages with the coming out narrative that we see a lot in YA books, um, but it engages with it in a new way and presents coming out more as an ongoing navigation uh, rather than a, a, a single momentous change. And I'm wondering both if that choice was influenced by your own experience, and also if if you think this could, you know, signal or spark a change in YA writing to a little bit more of a fluid and dynamic expressions of sexuality. Yeah, I mean, so it absolutely not only mirrored my own experience, but continues to mirror my experience. Uh, I yeah. think really mm-hmm. the... What happened? No, nothing. It's okay. We just, we just both got really excited because we're both also bi, queer, and... Yeah. <laughs> and resonated with a yeah. lot of the storylines in this book. Yeah. Hello, family. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so it, it not only mirrored my experience in high school, it continues to mirror my experience. And that is actually kind of the point of the book. Like, I really want people to come away from the book with the understanding that, like, being human is a very dynamic experience. Like, there is mm-hmm. no fixed way of being because you never know what kind of things and people you're going to encounter in the future, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. we are all constantly changing and evolving and becoming different versions of the same self. And I think that it's important that we respect that in each other. Um, The thing about marginalization is that it often puts us in this kind of defensive position where... Mm -hmm. We are, because of being others constantly, we're all trying to kind of find something to hold on to, right? And I think that's part of part of the reason why people can be so, sorry about my kids, um, okay. can be so, um, not weird, but like uptight, I guess, about labels. What do you need, honey? 
You don't want your chicken nuggets. Okay. My child, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> he doesn't want his chicken nuggets. Yeah. Let me rewind. What was I saying? Oh, yes. So we're all constantly changing. We're all constantly encountering new people that influence us. We're, we're going through different situations. There are life circumstances that can completely up in the way that you think and feel about the world. And I think that we need to give each other the space to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the labels, as I was, I don't know how much I said before I, my kid interrupted us, but like the labels that I feel people can be really uptight about, I think that has a lot to do with the nature of marginalization and how it makes us look for something to cling to, to feel like we're valid in the world. Yeah. Um, so the, I really wanted to push hard against that dominant coming out narrative um, and have it be more about coming out as a person who mm-hmm. is totally entitled to love who they want to, however they want to, um, and who is totally and completely allowed to define themselves. Um, so I would love, honestly, I like, though, I will say that I do like the range of experiences that are covered in Y literature when it comes to, like, the LGBTQ experience. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. like, I like that there are stories that are solely about the coming out experience. Mm-hmm. I like that there are stories that are about what happens after you've come out and now you're trying to, like, figure out how to live your life. I like the stories that are about the kid who is out and proud and has a significant other and is on an adventure and, it, and their sexuality doesn't actually matter to the plot. Like, mm-hmm. and I think all of those are important. I just want to see more of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially about people of color. Like that would be great. Like I would love to see more black female girls who like other black female girls. Like, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was so redundant. Black female girls. No girls. <laughs> yeah, fine. Girls are typically female. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know we talked about it already, so I'm not going to ask this as a question again, but mm-hmm. like so many queer narratives that are just about white people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At Yafest, you you talked about a, a principle you use in your writing, you used in writing Dear Martin, at least uh, called rhinos. And we thought that was really cool. And we were wondering if you wouldn't mind just uh, sharing that with our listeners. Yeah, sure. So um, rhinos is kind of my mnemonics that I use when I'm very, when the writing that I'm doing is focused on like some kind of social change or like some, or addressing some kind of social issue. Um, So the R is for the word reason, like having a reason to be pursuing this particular thing that you're creating. The H is for the word humility, um, knowing that there are things that you don't know. And because there are things you don't know, you're going to have to like do some research and really you know, dig in, try to learn more about what you're doing. Um, there are going to be places and times where you are wrong about the things that you already believe. So being willing to challenge yourself and check yourself on those things. Uh, the letter I is investigative savvy, um, which is, you know, kind of feeds off the letter H, humility. Investigative savvy is knowing how to research, knowing how to get information. Mm-hmm. Um, the letter N is for nuance. Uh, basically saying, like, don't beat people over the head with your personal message. Like, there's something very powerful about stories that address social issues in a way that people are able to kind of take what they need from it. Um, Mm -hmm. And as long as the stories are presented authentically, that's something that kind of happens naturally. The letter O is for optimism. Um, When you are writing books that that address negative, ugly things in the world, doing so from a place of 
the belief that things can be better is just really helpful. And the letter S is for self-care, which I like to say is, you know, have some cat videos on hand for when you're looking at these very ugly negative things and need to pick me up. Mm-hmm. Or go get your nails done or, like, you know, do something that makes you feel good just to mm-hmm. remind yourself that you are human and worthy of happy emotions. So, rhinos. Thank yeah, you so that's much. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> rhinos. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it because I think it. I think it can be applicable to to just working for social change in general. Yeah, absolutely. Like a, a lot of those are just really good lessons yeah. for us to learn. Yeah. And also at YaFest, you said that rhinos are fat unicorns, and I have just they are that has just sat with me. I love it. <laughs> um, I love my chubby yeah. unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I it's love great. it. Well, thank you so much uh, for for joining us today. We've been talking mm-hmm. with Nick Stone, the author of Dear Martin and the upcoming Odd One Out, which is coming out on October 9th. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me, ladies. And uh, thank you to your kid for, for sharing you. I understand yes. that that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> My kid is and he won't eat his chicken nuggets. So it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually at tefferbear and at thebalesosaurus. If you like the show and you want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. You you can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. <laughs>